It certainly wasn't the start of a new decade that we had expected. Despite the ongoing challenges that have arisen, there are glimpses of hope and 2020 has given us the time and opportunity to reflect and reevaluate the fundamentals of living and what we hold dear. Through our LMH podcast series, we look to share our insights into the luxuries we can't live without and bring into focus the ultimate luxury of health and time spent with family. In these podcasts, we speak to luxury tastemakers and experts across the luxury sphere, from investments to health and home. Our series looks to shine a new light on all things luxury in a post-pandemic era. Today on In Conversation with LMH, I'm speaking to award-winning Australian winemaker, Grant Burge, about how the Australian wine industry has been dealing with the effects of COVID-19. He also gives us an insight into the Burge historic family journey in the Brossa Valley, and we discuss his plans for the newly launched family-owned brand, Corriton Burge. Hi, Grant. Thanks so much for joining us today. Would you mind just telling everyone a little bit about your background and about your family history? Right, Gemma. Well, our family have been in the Brussels. Well, I'm, I'm fifth generation and we arrived here in 1855. So the Burgess were one of the pioneering families of the Brossa. Unlike most of the uh, people that came to the Brossa in, in that time were of German descent, I'm actually of English descent, and our family came from a little village in the Vale of Pusey in Wiltshire called Wilsford. And they, uh, South Australia was a uh, formed by a, a company in London called the South Australia Company, and the idea was that uh, for you bought shares in the company, and uh, for every pound, uh, the shares were a pound each, and for every share that you had, you could, you under your own steam could come out to South Australia and take up an acre of land. So if you bought 500 shares, you could, um, it cost 500 pounds, you came up here and you pegged out 500 acres and things were pretty flexible in those days. So it probably ended up being 700 acres, but uh, yeah. Anyway, so that's what, and the reason that our family came out to South Australia and the Brossa was that John Burge had um, travelled and he knew a little bit about winemaking and his wife, people by the name of uh, Springbit, had come out and taken up a fair chunk of land and they needed some, uh, they're obviously promoting a bit of culture and winemaking and so because their son-in-law knew a bit about how to make wine, got the Burgess to come out and, and help them and that's how we ended up in the, the Brossa and the, 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 the next various generations um, were mixed farmers, made wine, grew grapes, but also were cereal farmers as well. And then uh, when the Depression, my grandfather, the third generation, my grandfather, the Depression came and he couldn't sell his grapes for a fair price, so he thought, blow it, I'll, I'll start making wine. And that's an interesting story as well because he made his wine and then when he went to sell it, he found out that all of the big companies, there was no Trade Practices Act in those days and he couldn't break his way into all of the hotels because they're all under contract to the bigger companies. So not to be outdone, he um, he bought a hawker's licence and he started selling door to door. And he built up quite a, quite a really uh, very prosperous business of which my father and uncle took over. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, we had five trucks delivering wine all over South Australia every day. And, unfort well, not unfortunately, what, what actually happened was that, um, and, and that went on for years, but when 
the 60s and 70s came about. Previously, the wine that my grandfather made was all fortified wines, you know, ports and cherries and so forth. And, of course, after the Second World War, with a huge um, European migration to Australia, it changed the whole drinking habits of wine. It changed from fortified wines to table wine, and uh, which we drink today. And, of course, um, our, our family weren't sort of quick enough to sort of change and our business gradually died. And my mother could see that that was happening and she could see that my father and uncle weren't going to change their ways. So she sort of encouraged me to go out and uh, do my own thing and learn table wine making because that was going to be the future. And so that's what I did. And I had various jobs for 10 years or so after I left school, but ultimately wanted my own business. So first of all, I got involved with some other another winemaker and some businessmen, and we started Krondorf, and that became a very successful brand. I mean, we started, we actually took control of the Krondorf winery on my 27th birthday, would you believe, it was very, 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 very young. And uh, because we were so young, and well, my partner was only 25, um, that created a lot of publicity in itself. Then we won a few, a lot of winemaking awards, and the brand uh, took off, and uh, but if you know anything about the wine industry, it's very capital intensive. The faster you grow, the more money you need. And so in 1983, we went public and raised $8 million. And, and then a couple of years later in 1986, being a public company, uh, we got a takeover offer. And I was the only one on the board who said no. Everyone else said yes. And so we got sold. And I worked for, well, Mildara bought us. Um, and I uh, worked for them for a couple of years, but in the end, I, I really wanted uh, my own business again. And um, in 1998, 1998, Helen and I started uh, Grant Beach Wines. So, yeah, it's been a, an, an interesting uh, journey. Gosh, with so many years of winemaking and so much experience, I imagine you've probably seen lots of ups and downs that you've had to work through. What's your thoughts on how the Australian wine industry and perhaps how you're dealing with this sort of global pandemic now in the Barossa Valley? Yes, well, it's uh, interesting. I mean, in South Australia, we've been incredibly lucky. We, we, I mean, we did get shut down like virtually everywhere else in the world. I mean, personally, I, I know my mother uh, talked to me about the Spanish. She was a nurse and she talked about various pandemics and things, and but it's nothing. We've never seen anything like it in my my lifetime, and um, so it's a whole new uh, phenomenon. We're incredibly lucky here in South Australia because we had very few cases. We we had the lockdown, and for probably a couple of months, uh, and then we. I mean, obviously we had cases, but uh, for the last six weeks uh, in South Australia, we haven't had a, a new infection. So various rules and things are starting to be relaxed. Restaurants now open again. And as next week, um, you know, even the distancing rules are closing down a bit further. So gradually getting back to uh, to normal. But then in Victoria, our next state has had a, a spike and sort of a second wave. And they've started to get uh, quite a few new cases. So, you know, everyone's now a bit sort of concerned again. Look, we've had a perfect storm in the wine industry because, you know, back in January we had bushfires. We've had poor setting of the, the grapes uh, last year we've had. And then we've had very dry conditions for the last two years. So we've had two sort of real droughts. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of growers are 50 60% down on their normal crops. So 
there's been hardship anyway, and then they get uh, COVID-19 on top of it. It's a perfect uh, storm. In our case, uh, we we sell a lot of bulk wine to the to the industry, and all of those orders and things are um, um, still going through. So, and uh, our cellar door had to shut down. So, as a business, even though we've got fifty staff, we're, we're reasonably isolated. Uh, and uh, you know, we, I mean, and we we're very very fortunate. None of uh, uh, you know our family or staff have uh, had the virus or contacted the virus. So we've been uh, incredibly Lucky. But it's going to be, you know, we all can see that it's going to be a very hard 12 months because, well, the, gov- the government stepped in and um, has supported uh, businesses to keep employing everyone. Um, the real hardship is going to come around when that all stops and uh, we're on our own a- a- again. Um, in a retail sense, uh, in, like um, uh, liquor stores and so forth, have uh, actually been booming because people are still buying alcohol. Uh, and they reckon that they're 30 or 40% up in their normal sales. But of course, ref- restaurants and hotels and things are absolutely devastated because they've been basically shut down and there's no sales. So, And probably those extra sales uh, from the wine companies and distributors type point of view uh, don't really make up for all of the, the closures elsewhere. So it's a bit of an up and down uh, situation. Um, as a producer, I mean, we've still got to prune our vines, so all our people are out pruning and so forth, and, um, you know, life sort of life goes on. But I, I just think that you can't, you know, Qantas today announced that they're going to put 6,000 people off and 9,000, you know, on furlough till the end of the year. I mean, that's going to have a huge devastating effect to people's income. So, um, you know, it's going to have to hurt. And do you think you will have to make changes in the way that you make wine or harvest wine in any way? No, I don't. Yeah, uh, good question. I don't. I don't really think so. I. Um, I mean, it's more about how much we make or how much you can sell. No, I mean the virus doesn't affect grapes or anything like that. I mean, oh, that's the other issue we had this year with not only bushfires, but the issue of smoke taint. You know, tainting the smoky flavour in the wine so we've all been very very concerned about that but in a general sense from the virus and the pandemic point of view not really I don't I mean the grapes are still mature and we still make wine um, the same way it's more about the commercial aspect of how sales you know go basically. And you touched on the fact that you're moving on from Grant Bird and I know that you've got a new brand under Barossa Bird now. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the new brand that you're now launching over there? Yes, it's now five years ago now since we, uh, we sold the, uh, the Grant Bird's brand. Um, a lot of people think we sort of sold out totally, but we only ever sold the wine and the brand. So all of our vineyards and winery and so forth are still family owned. And I thought that probably we would be involved with the Grant Beige brand ongoing, but that hasn't come to be. So, and my two children uh, and my stepson working for us in the business, and they're still very keen to develop their own their own brands and so forth. Uh, it was interesting. They always said uh, to dad and mum, well, they're, Grubbage is your brand. We'd like to do something of our own. So from their point of view, uh, it, it's a new era. And so this time we sort of rather than Grand Bird was obviously about me 
and thought that we would try and come up with a brand that was transcend generations being rather than about one brand. So we thought about that hard and long and uh, we were given this concept of why don't you use one of your most prestige vineyards and, and join that with your family. And we have a beautiful property in the, in the Barossa Hills called Corriton Park and it's a very historic uh, property. It's in all of the books about the you know, top 100 country homesteads in Australia. Corridon Park is in that, in that book or those books. And we decided to use that name with our family name. So uh, Corridon Park has become Corriton Burge. And that's the name of the new brand that we're, uh, we're going to launch with. It's very exciting. Um, I mean, I've been involved in this will be the third one. Um, Crondorf in the early days and then Grant Burge and, and of course now we're releasing Corriton Burge and even for me it's uh, really is bringing me back 30 years ago when I started Grant Burge it's a very exciting time I mean you've got to think up the whole name concept you've got to think up the you know the, the labels and the whole design of the whole thing so it's, it's um, even though I'm a winemaker at heart you know I find that really Rolling and exciting to actually uh, go through that whole process. So it's really giving me a, a new lease of uh, life. I mean, it's not only me. This one is a family brand. So as I said, Helen and I and our children are all in this together. And uh, that's that actually is interesting because it creates challenges in itself, whereas Helen and I used to have to just satisfy ourselves. Now we've got our children that we've got to so there's a little bit more collaboration between all of us to come up with uh, new concepts and so forth. But it was interesting. We got a designer or employed a designer to come up with the whole package and uh, we, we had the name, but they had to come up with the package and so forth and the design of the labels. And uh, they gave us three concepts and all of us unanimously went for the, the the concept that we've run with. So it's it's been very interesting that it's all, you know, very like-minded and come up with the same thing. So it's been good. It must feel uh, great that you can bring that experience into the future generations and, and now do it together. So you're sort of bringing everything you've learnt through into now more of a family business. And it sounds like that's quite part of the brand vision, isn't it? That, that you're trying to keep it as more of a, a family collection and probably is it slightly more premium do you want to tell us a little bit about the actual products um, yeah i mean grand Berger was very premium uh, as well but we grew into quite a big i think we ended up being 10th biggest wine company uh, in australia but we had a you know quite a range of wines from you know entry level right through to very expensive wines this one is still going to be in the sort of middle of the road to upper market wines. Uh, a little bit simpler. We probably, as a family, have decided that we don't really want to be ever as big as the Grant Bird thing because that became really a, a monolith. We just let it, I mean, I always say that I did a business plan and failed because we went way past what the business plan was meant to be. And everyone tells me that's success, but I'm not sure that's correct. But anyway, look, it was a great journey and um, I'm very proud of it. But this is a totally new era, you know, with our children, which is really exciting, as I said before. And uh, we'll just see where that, where that leads. We've got a vision. Obviously, we want to be a very well-respected wine, wine business with high-quality wines. And yeah, so we'll see how we go. It's interesting you say, it's your ex experience and it's, it's interesting when you have conversations because you listen 
to your children who are young, enthusiastic and you know, have some great ideas and then you know from experience that some of them won't work for whatever reason. And my, my view is that everyone can have a, a good idea but you've got to, got to listen to everyone and, and, and work out whether it's going to work or it's not. And, you know, you're never too old to learn and so they've come up with some great ideas but then, you know, so we're, with our experience being able to say, well, that's good, but it's not going to work for this reason or whatever. So, yeah, it's been, uh, but it, it's really is a very exciting time because it's very, it's not only making the wine, which is, you know, my passion, but I've got to come up with the whole business plan and think it all through. So it's a great time of getting something really put together and making it all happen. Launching any brand is so exciting. Can you tell us a little bit more about the products and do you have any favourites? I mean, obviously, the Bross is a Shiraz area, uh, so Bross is very well known for its Shiraz and there's going to be one of our major products for uh, Shiraz. But when I first started the wine industry, Cabernet Sauvignon was the big grape variety that was uh, everyone was uh, wanting to perfect. So as a young winemaker, I really fell in love with Cabernet. Now, Cabernet is a, an interesting variety for the Brosser because it's sort of climate and the Brosser is on the edge of good Cabernet country. And that's how I came by this uh, property, Corridon Park, because I was finding find a climatic area that would be a bit cooler than the than the main Barossa to to you know that would be really good for Cabernet Sauvignon. We found this property in the climate. The best area for Cabernet Sauvignon in South Australia is at Coonawarra in the south of South Australia. And what we found in this property, even though it was colder in the winter. In the growing season, in the spring, summer and autumn, was the same climate as Coonawarra. So we thought, well, that would be a good climate to grow Cabernet and it also had a good water source, huge big dam on it. And so we bought the property and that was in the 90s and planted Cabernet, mainly Bordeaux varieties, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Petit Bordeaux. And to cut a long story short, now the vines are 25 years old. It's probably the best Cabernet uh, vineyard in the Barossa region. And so it's a bit like, you know, breeding a horse and training him up and winning the Melbourne Cup. It's, wine's a bit like that. You know, we, we found this vineyard or this property. We planted the vines. We Now, you know, the vines are matured and now we're making unbelievable uh, wines from it, from it. I've won many trophies with the you know Cabernet from that from that vineyard. In fact, I've got a bottle of it right here in front of me. It's going to be called the Brigadier Corridon Burge Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, I love the name. <laughs> I've had the pleasure. I was actually just about to ask you what does the future hold for the Grant Burge family, but I know I've had the pleasure of actually seeing. Corriton Park and and the chateau that you're thinking of creating there. I imagine that's probably very much part of the plan, isn't it, to make this beautiful chateau like when you turn up to these ones in France? Yeah. I bought the property for the for the water source and the, the viticultural region, but I always knew in the back of my mind that it had this beautiful homes, homestead on it and we thought that this would be an absolute perfect gem for an Australian equivalent of a French uh, chateau. And that was going to be our forefront for the Grand Birds label. But since uh, we've sold that, we didn't wonder what we might do. But now that we've started the, and especially because we've used the name, Corriton, Corriton Birch, that will be our, Helen's done a magnificent job uh, doing it up. We've got a little bit more to do, but no, we will be using, that'll be the forefront of, you know, promotional efforts with that uh, 
property. Hopefully, we'll um, ultimately you know, have enough accommodation there so we'll, it will be used fully not only for promotion of the wine, but people can stay there as well. I mean, apart from the 400-year-old gum trees, when they, the, the house was built in 1851, and, you know, just the magnificent trees and the setting of the creek running past and whatever. It's just it's a beauty to behold, really. I mean, the other thing is that I love the history of the place and, and Helen, I want to really bring it back to its uh, former glory and, and make it useful so that it's um, kept for eternity, basically. I can't wait to see it when you're finished. As you say, it's steeped in so much history. Tell me, have you got any plans to bring it to the UK or abroad? Yes, I mean, well, you know yourself, I've been, last year in the UK, I was going around talking to various people about the distribution. I think I'm pretty pretty much organised. I've got a fellow that used to sell the Grant Burge brand, Charlie Croft, and his company, their company that he works for now, I'm pretty sure going to take it on. We would. I can't really say too much more at the stage because... COVID came along and just hold up the process, so we haven't got anything totally finalised, but I'm pretty sure once they get back to work and we get it all sorted out, we will. So I'm hopefully, we're talking about, we were going to launch in UK probably in September, but with COVID, uh, we're now talking probably January, February in UK. Yeah, I mean, we've just got so many people that we know in the UK market to, and we've spoken to them when I've been there in various times. They're all keen to, to take it on. So, no, that's going to be one of the first export markets that we go to. And the other big thing is that, and I don't know if it's been promoted much in the UK, but with the UK getting out of Bre- uh, Brexit, there's going to be a big free trade agreement in Australia. And Prime Minister Boris has been on the television here quite a bit promoting the whole thing. So, we're hopeful that that's all going to come to fruition in the next few months and um, yeah, that's going to make us uh, Australian wine very competitive in the, in, the, in the UK. So we're all pretty excited about all this. Thanks, Graham, for joining me. Uh, very much looking forward to seeing it launch over here and on the shelves in the UK and seeing you and Helen when you're next over. Excellent. Thanks very much.